0: 'Cause the whole world's gone crazy. Just please, go nuts. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I mean,
1: really, explore the space.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, here we go. Welcome back to friggin' Beautiful Animals.
0: Beautiful Animals podcast.
1: The only podcast. Probably not the only podcast.
0: The only podcast what?
1: Just the only podcast. But then I realized that it's probably not the only podcast. Oh. There are probably other
0: podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Tyler's never listened to a podcast. Except this one. (laughs) It's the only one you need. Yeah. Welcome back to the only podcast you ever needed. Beautiful animals. Or ever wanted. I'm Tyler Cole. This is my home dog. Andy Bosch over there. I am the home dog. (laughs) The home of the dogs. That's true. This is the home of the dogs. Uh, It's also our podcast studio. And uh, welcome back. Thanks for joining us once again. We are happy to be here. We're even happier to have you with us. Uh, anyway, here we are once again. Yeah. We're uh, back in the studio. We're going to talk more. Uh, we're going to return to uh, some of the topics we discussed last week, which includes Young and the unconscious and the subconscious. And uh, Libra Novus is the book I'm going through right now and sharing with y'all, just like as a little refresher. Yeah. Have you done another Gateway Tape? I have not. No. Nope. Not not as of this uh, part of the recording. Yeah.
1: But... Yeah. I thought that would be tying into Young more, but it sounds like it's going to be a lot longer process, so...
0: Yeah, that's just how I'm going to become a super human. Yeah. Yeah. Over the next year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: or whatever. However long it takes.
0: However long it takes. Yeah, I don't think uh it's I'm not going to be able to pack it into a 3 week series like I thought maybe. Yeah. But, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. I'm still excited about it. Yeah,
1: it'll be fun. I did a gateway tape oh, after yeah. we recorded that last episode. You yeah. can listen to it on our bonus episode. Oh, yeah, check out the bonus episode. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty nice little short. Me uh just talking about my doctor's appointment. and, <laughs> and then, Yeah, uh, if you want to uh, get to know no no, 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 T-Money over here yeah. a little
0: bit better, check out that bonus episode. Yeah. It's a real great lens <laughs> look into the inner mind of my dear friend here. <laughs> All
1: I think about is sleep. And then I do a gateway tape, and it's fun.
0: Yeah, it's fun being a person with limited experience of trans stuff or meditations and, and like... Uh, I think it's fun for you guys, the listener, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to see, to to, to watch us um, take our first baby steps into baby that steps. world because uh, there's a lot more there than I thought as yeah. sort of a skeptical outside observer yeah. Yeah, and I've barely even scratched the surface and it's already uh, pretty crazy shit.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to get with, yeah, because they're like made by the US government or CIA or whatever the guy. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know, a pretty official, but it's totally just a kind of combination of meditation and hypnosis. Yeah. Which I mean, which aren't that different to begin with, right? And so I looked into it a little bit because I thought during meditation, especially like the original the guided meditation, no, like ancient medi- like monk oh, meditation, like monks like, and stuff. I yeah. thought because like there's a humming sec- section in the oh, in the, the resonance, type. yeah, yeah. In a lot of like ancient meditation techniques, there's the Om oh, or like some yeah, version yeah, yeah, of it, yeah, and humming is a huge part of it, yeah. And I like tried to look it up and try and find more and it's I'm sure it's still a huge part, but I wasn't able to find like uh much secret, information about it. Secret stuff. Yeah. I and think there's, there's... most of it was just yoga. <laughs> yoga videos well, and stuff, like humming during yoga.
0: Yeah. I mean there's some maybe we're running into the reality that a lot of these um these ancient traditions are kind of uh protected knowledge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just not that readily available, like if you're not oh, yeah, actually a part of those Schools of thought are yeah. part of those. You can't
1: just like casually look it up. You have to. Yeah.
0: You can't just like be like, oh, I want to become a fucking <laughs> yeah. Kundalini master mantra, yeah, know, ohm person. Yeah. Like you actually have to <laughs> like go study under a master. Yeah. And there's like. Because like
1: under the Wikipedia page for meditation, it doesn't talk about humming at all or yeah, what the fuck. Yeah. And, and here mean, we are. Every, multiple variations of the spelling ohm didn't show up in my <laughs> <sketch>. <laughs> Yeah. So.
0: And so it's um a little harder to, yeah. to just break into that world but, without a guide, I guess.
1: Yeah, so anyway, what I was saying, like it the, the humming is like the resonant he calls it resonant tuning in the gateway tape, and like yeah. that's my understanding it has been a huge part of like ancient traditional uh, meditation technique and so he has a basis for it. That's probably where he got the idea.
0: Oh definitely turn
1: turning ancient cultural shit into some American government
0: propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I think that whole <clears throat> that whole process is um, is taken from that guy's study of other techniques out there it wasn't like he just thought of it yeah he's just coming up with a bunch of he put it together into something that was you know made for u.s government people but it's all taken from traditional mindset stuff
1: yeah and my my understanding of hypnosis too like whether people enter a trance or not like it's a lot of people a lot more people are susceptible to it than than people think because i but also like there are people that just aren't affected by it Like hypnotists know that. I mean, I'm sure there's a wide range of credibility between within the hypnosis community, but there's like, like it's kind of. I think it's pretty well understood that that some people are just. From the Wikipedia article, <laughs> it says that the uh, about 80% of the population is, like, moderately susceptible to hypnosis, to hypnosis. and then there's, like, 10% that's very susceptible, oh. and then there's 10% that's, like, not at all susceptible. That's very interesting. And I'm sure it's, That's, like, fucking, interesting. that's right? fucking
0: interesting. So it's, like, a bell curve, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: uh, just something within their brain wiring, I guess.
0: Yeah, today we're going to talk about... Uh, we're going to dive back into Young a little bit, and we're going to discuss the sort of... Uh, where we left off last time, I, we had talked about Young and sort of his uh, childhood fantasies and experiences. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of visions that were um, helped make him into the person that he ended up being. Yeah, we talked about him and Freud working together for the five-year period uh, that they did. Yeah, I think and, where we left off, they they had just split up. Yeah, there they just uh, they just started their split, and so we're just going to go back into We're going to start <laughs> up where we left off with Jung and Freud's <laughs> 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 The split, we're going to talk about a few of the, the key differences, or I just wanted to go over a few of the key differences that kind of led him to that split. Yeah. I mentioned last episode that Jung wrote this book uh, about the theory of the unconscious, where he kind of laid out these things, and Freud was super pissed. Because so, it didn't have enough dicks in it? Almost exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Basically because of the lack of tics. Anyway, let's just go through it a little bit. All right. right. I mean, since you brought it up, let's talk about the difference in their their feelings about sex. Yeah. Yeah. So as we talked about, and we kind of went into it a lot, Freud really thought that sex had to do with your whole psychological makeup. Yeah. You asked last time, you're like, oh, was he the guy that made up penis envy? Yeah. He was. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I figured. So he came up with the whole Oedipus and Electra complex. You mm-hmm. know what that is? Yeah. I know Oedipus, but... Oedipus and uh, Electra is just the same thing, but for oh, women, yeah. right? So the Oedipal complex is the idea that uh, little boys want to have sex with their moms. Mm-hmm. And the Electra complex is that little girls want to have sex with their dads. And the whole penis envy thing comes from the Electra complex. Yeah. It's like... They realize they don't have a penis and that they want a penis and then they're obsessed with their dad's penis and then they want to have sex with their dads. That's how it gets there. Whereas the edible side of that mm-hmm. is, the can't, is what's called castration anxiety. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's where little boys, they realize they want to have sex with their moms, so then they're afraid of their dads. because They're Cause afraid their, their dads, dads gonna... are going to cut their dick off. yeah. <laughs> I I need my Johnson. <laughs> what do you need that for, dude? <laughs> so so yeah, Freud. Yeah, Freud was really into all that. Yeah, that's kind of what he's known for—is just like being obsessed with. Yeah, dicks. I feel like it is yeah. absolutely what he's known for. But yeah. so Young's so, view on sex was that yeah, sex was a a big part of your psychological makeup, but wasn't, it wasn't everything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he thought I mean one of the one of his main things that was that was different from Freud. Like, he thought that the love between a mother and a son, for example, was about protection and security. And, yeah. like, <laughs> n- not just about the little boy wanting to fuck his mom. Like, yeah. He's like, uh, no, there's a whole, like, caregiving side of it that you're ignoring. And so he, that whole protective element and that security element is what would end up becoming the basis for attachment theory, which is a, a really big part of psychology now, actually. Yeah, um, is like secure attachment versus insecure attachment. Okay, yeah. Have you heard of that? I think so, vaguely. So insecure attachment versus secure attachment styles, I'm not going to go into it in depth, but in your youth and through your uh, the attachment style you develop with your mom or your caregiver, that, that same attachment style ends up being exhibited over and over through your relationships into your adulthood. Yeah, which makes
1: sense. Like, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, I think it's well-agreed upon, like, where, if you ha- if you have a reliable parent or not, yeah, it kind of throughout your life, like it informs how you relate with other people. In it your Informs, life. yeah, and you're especially like in your your security, your personal security. Like exactly. if you're
0: if you have an insecure attachment basis, yeah, then you're gonna be more drawn into these insecure attachment based relationships. Yeah, and if you have if you've been taught for... a secure attachment, a secure basis, yeah, then you you find comfort in you know healthier relationships. Yeah, and if, I mean it's just
1: like as simple as just like if you're as a kid, you experience the world as being unreliable, the world meaning your parents, because that's pretty much your whole world at that time. Yeah. Then, well, as you get older, you you don't think the world, you're never confident in the, the security of the world. You're just like, okay, right. everything's going to fall apart around me. You never trust. You just don't have that built. You never build the trust.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it was Young's theories of attachment that set the stage for what would become that psychological area of Yeah, and
1: it. I think... In modern psychology, I think they've kind of broken it down into like just trauma. Yeah, I mean, well, <clears throat> trauma that's plays what a role t- in it. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of like how
0: they're just how they're talking about it now. I think. Yeah, secure attachment, insecure attachment, traumatic experience, etc. Yeah, Jung had a, clearly a more nuanced. I think I think a more nuanced view of sex than than yeah. Freud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Freud, if Freud, yeah, it's a big part of
1: it, but it's not everything.
0: It's not everything. Yeah, we're not that. We're not just two dimensional. And you know, the same. That same undercurrent is is kind of uh, evidenced in their different interpretations of what dreams were, Mm -hmm. uh, which is another thing. We kind of started talking about it last week. We'll go into it in depth this week as we go into Libra Novus a little more. You know, Freud, he felt like your dreams were just exhibitions of repressed memories and repressed trauma. And so that, and again, sex, right? Freud was like, oh, well, if you're dreaming of a stick, that means you're dreaming of a penis. And there's no other symbolism that could be found on yeah, a, a stick. Yeah, a stick couldn't a be anything else. <laughs> yeah, and that that sort of rigid interpretation of dreams. I mean, Freud thought you could write up a dictionary and say, you know, a stick is a penis, a rock is your house, like just X equals Y. Yeah. for oh. everything in your dreams, like f- across like <laughs> different individuals. Yeah, for like, every dream. For every dream. And it would mean the same thing. Yeah. And Jung was like, absolutely not. Everybody has a different, a slightly different and a more nuanced association with different symbols that are going to come up in your dreams. Sometimes a cigar is just a good smoke. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think Freud actually said that. Yeah, (laughs) really? Yeah, when somebody (laughs) called him out on smoking cigars all the time and what that meant, because they were making fun of him. Is that really his quote? I think he said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah, look it up.
1: up. I mean, I know somebody said it, but I- I think that's, that's kind of crazy that it would be Freud.
0: I think it is Freud because he he got a lot of shit for how sex obsessed he was.
1: It was fucking Sigmund
0: Freud. You're right. I told you. <laughs> what the <Yeah>. fuck? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, he wasn't an idiot. He just over focused yeah, yeah. on the sexual part of yeah. things. You know. Obviously, he brought a lot of really really interesting subjects and themes into the world of psychology and psychiatric study oh we touched on it briefly last week but I did a little bit more research into what was psychology before these two guys Uh and it just was a much more physical understanding of like brain and brain disease like that it was like being a brain doctor like you cut up the brain and look at pieces of the brain and be like ah this one's smaller than the other that's why the guy was crazy you know what I mean there was less of the whole talk therapy and you know that sort of thing. So he sometimes a cigar. is just a cigar. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that I used his quote to kind of discredit him. Yeah, <laughs> not even realizing it was
1: his quote. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's funny. Uh,
0: but yeah, so young. Young felt like dreams were were a window into the the uh, unconscious and subconscious. Young thought that just like Freud did, but Freud associated it all with sex and repressed memories. And Young thought it was a lot more nuanced than that. And that thought that dreams weren't always allegorical or, or always connected to the collective unconscious but that they could be Mm -hmm. and that when you're in your dream state yes some of what you're doing is just processing what you saw that day some of what you're doing is just you know reliving memories Mm -hmm. from your life but that there were moments in your dreams where you could engage with this sort of larger collective unconscious yeah and you would see things the symbols that you saw in your dreams sometimes took the form of what he called archetypes which are it was his way of saying that we do have some things that are the same for all of us, right? So you can see how there's a little bit of an overlap between Freud and Jung, but how Jung was just a little more expansive about it. Mm-hmm. Freud thought like a rock is always going to be your house, a stick is always a dick. Yeah, like or you can go buy
1: a book that's like a dream dictionary, and it's like yeah, it has I every have one. yeah. yeah it, <laughs> it's like
0: and, oh, if you lose your tooth, it means that <clears throat> you're gonna you're gonna die or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly, and, and like. And, 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 and Jung was like, okay, sure, there are some common some common themes yeah. that we share, and, and he called those archetypes. And he felt like those common themes came to us through access to the collective unconscious. Yeah, he but would, also sometimes it's just sometimes your dreams are just fucking nonsense. Sometimes you and were just nothing... experiencing the you know subjective viewpoint yeah, and, and not your brain any just any kind of objective reality. Just sleep waves making electrical signals and turning into weird shit. Yeah. But, you know, what was kind of revolutionary about Jung is that he he thought that there was could be more to dreams than just your personal experience. Mm-hmm. He thought that there was some degree of interaction with your dreams that could be part of a more collective or a larger experience that you could engage in and find truth from. Mm-hmm. And Libra Novus really is him doing that work. Like he, he, Libra Novus was written after this time period of their first... Of their split, they split in like 1911. Libre Novus is written 1915 through 1930. That's kind of a long. That's like the
1: period that his journal. Yeah. Like when he was writing it, kind of as a journal, because yeah, he, yeah. He, didn't, he didn't. It wasn't published
0: for. It was not published until uh, recently, actually. Yeah. And he didn't. He thought about publishing it before he died, but he never did. Mm-hmm. He had, like, started working on it to be a published work, like, in the 50s, but he had written it, like, written down the actual dreams and the experiences he had in these dreams between 1915 and 1930. What made him different was this this belief that he could go into the underworld of his dreams and, like, derive some universal truths out of it. And, like, and so that's what he does in Libra Novus, which is a little bit crazy. Perfect. That's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, we're here to a talk about... A little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit crazy. Just go nuts. <laughs> Just go nuts. <laughs> so that's what he does. One thing I wanted to say about the text before we go specifically into the text, in this time period we've we talked about a little bit, psychology, psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, weren't so specifically like a science of its own thing. Mm-hmm. It was more... It wasn't as far divided from... The arts. Okay, so... So, like, literature and writing, like, (laughs) it wasn't... uh, Things are just more separated now. Like, there's hard sciences and soft sciences now. Back then, there were just, like, learned people, and they did all kinds of shit. So, and I say that because it wasn't completely uncommon to have a work like this. There were other people in this same time period, his other contemporaries, that were putting their scientific studies... They were taking their scientific studies and representing them in sort of an art-like form. Cause I don't, I don't think I've given you, told you about this book. It's leather bound in red leather, and it's written in calligraphy. Hmm. The whole thing. Did he like he penned by him? it? Yeah. Okay. In his own calligraphy, like yeah. really fancy looking writing, and there's illustrations, and he, he painted all the illustrations, mm-hmm. and he did all the. It's like a a big work. Like, it's like almost a multimedia thing. It's before a multimedia. Was... Exactly. No, you're exactly <laughs> there right. There's more medias. Yeah, it's this. It's this multimedia representation yeah. of these concepts. So it's like it might sound a little strange to hear what I'm about to say coming from the you know words of a scientist, but it's a little less strange <laughs> in that time period. Still crazy. Uh-huh. He's still insane, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <But laughs> a little less crazy. the The work opens. Libra Novus. It begins with this sort of this sort of dialogue it's almost like it's almost like young with an angel and a demon on his shoulders mm-hmm. right but he names these two characters the spirit of our times and the spirit of the depths so there's this conversation going on the first chapter is called the way of what is to come and it's this so he's got the spirit of our times on one shoulder and the spirit of the depths on the other and the spirit of our times is like trying to say like to him because this all is occurring in his mind saying to him in his mind these are your thoughts yeah and the spirit of the depths is saying to him in his mind these are not your thoughts this is something else hmm. this is me so it's like almost the an internal of the struggle depths. of him
1: like is this real or is this exactly just my it head.
0: opens up with this internal exact that's exactly what it is it opens up with this internal struggle where he's has the he he represents his own struggle as these two characters the spirit of our times the spirit of the depths sort of vying for his attention or vying yeah. for his belief is he going to just go ahead and think like yes i'm thinking weird thoughts or is he going to believe no there's something more to this yeah, there's um, something deeper yeah uh, <laughs> so it's this almost i imagine it like a play
1: you know, like yeah. if
0: there was a, if someone did like a dramatization of it as a play, I think it would re- be really good. It would show a, like, yeah. puppet show. Yeah. Oh, we should do a puppet show. Oh, a puppet show would be good. Oh, we can do a puppet show on our OnlyFans. Oh, you're right. So, <laughs> <laughs> that way we get real weird with it. Dude. So there's Young in the middle and then there's, and there's like, just like a downlight on his face. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And everything else is dark. Yeah. And there's like a spotlight on the left side and it's the puppet of our times. And he's like, you are just thinking your thoughts. And then there's like a spotlight on the other side of the spirit of the depths. And he's like, no, the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas. Exactly. And eventually he kind of gives in to the spirit of the depths. And he says this, this, he says of Libra Novus, the spirit of the depths gave me these words. But I, I had to speak them because not speaking these words robbed me of all joy and all life. Huh. Like I had, I speak because the spirit makes me <laughs> speak. Yeah. And, but he, so then, then he kind of gives into the spirit of the depth and then he's having the conversation with the spirit of the depths, who's telling him, he says, he says to understand is a bridge to somewhere where you may return, but to explain is murder. What is it? And that, so the spirit of the depths is saying to young, I'm not going to explain this to you because you need to learn this yourself. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to kind of take you there.
1: I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for
0: you. Yeah. To, to, well, yeah. To explain it to you would rob you of the experience of understanding. Okay. The spirit of the depths even says to explain is murder. How many scholars out there are murderers? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of preps Young in saying like, this is going to be crazy. I'm not going to explain it to you. You just have to go through it. Hmm. Okay. You just have to experience it because that's it. Young characterizes it. or He says, my speech is imperfect, uh, not because I want to shine with words, but out of the impossibility of finding the words. Instead, I speak the images given to me by the spirit of the depths. So they just start you out <laughs> yeah. by saying, shit's going to get weird, but just hang tight. <laughs> so how, what was that phrase again? I, I can't show oh. you with words. I can show you with images. Yeah. Well, he says, he says, he says, my speech is imperfect, not because I want to shine with words, but out of the impossibility of finding those words. So I speak the images given to me from the depths. You know what that makes me think of? What?
1: Just how fucking impossible it is to explain with words a drug, a drug trip. trip. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're like, you're trying to explain it. And then you're like, these words, I they don't
0: have, there words. are not words yeah, there in existence. Aren't words for this and communicate this idea. I was listening to, I listened to this part first before I read it. And that was my exact thought Yeah. It was like, Oh we're going, this is, a, we're about <laughs> to go into a drug trip Yeah. that this guy experienced without drugs. He's trying to tell us that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like words are almost yeah. a, a hindrance of. Yeah. Your... It would be almost better without words, but of yeah. course we're going to do it on a podcast. So. so we're limited to words and word accessories, but on our only fans, you can see the puppet show. Yes. <laughs> and good? among other things, among other things. He says, he says in, like, the subtext, he's like, he had had this conversation in a dream, right? He's like, but I needed something to convince me. I wasn't sure. And then on in October of 1913, he had a waking vision. Remember I was saying before I wasn't sure if some were dreams and some were visions or yeah. what? So this first one, he says... Was a waking vision that just came over him. <clears throat> I first, yeah. The first one you're about to explain or the first one? The one, one I'm you... about to explain. That <laughs> other part, I think, was a dream. Or it was just, I actually don't even think it was a dream. I think that was just going on in his head, kind of subtextually. It's
1: mm-hmm. kind of an idea he was kind of caught on and going over. Yeah, you know, I think it was just like,
0: exactly. Like, just yeah. something that was kind of stirring in his sub thought. Mm-hmm. And he sort of came to the conclusion, like, well, I think I'm crazy. I need something to convince me that I'm not crazy, <laughs> which ironically, the thing to convince him that he's not crazy is a waking vision. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what a relief. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So in October of 1913, he has this, this waking vision of a terrible flood, A, a terrible flood that occurs from England all the way across to Russia from the Northern sea, all the way down to the Alps, this huge flood, yellow waves, rubble swimming in the water, the death of countless thousands. This is a two hour vision. It grips him with unimaginable fear, and he's just stuck in it for two hours, this crazy torrent, flood, all over Europe. Remember, this is right before the breakout of World War One. Okay. World War One happens uh, starts in July of 1914. In so we're on October 1913 okay. right now. So he has this two-hour vision, and it, it shakes him. He's like, whoa, what the fuck? Two weeks later, it comes over him again, but this time more violently. Yeah. And again, he's just like incapacitated for another two hours. It comes over him again. Uh, no, this is two, week, two weeks later. It comes over him again, but more violently. And in this, his inner voice says, is this real? Like, what is happening? Is this real? He's able to, like, sort of speak to it. When it ends, he's honestly not sure if he's going crazy or not. He's like, okay, I don't know. In June of 1914, he has the same dream uh, three times in a row. And this is, again, right before the breakout uh, of World War yeah, II at this Three, point. Three nights in a row. Just, uh know. Three times in a row. One, I think it's a couple of days spaced. Yeah. It's this dream of, like, a frost, icy frost coming down from space and freezing the ocean. And him having to, like, go through this frozen ocean in a rush. And he sees, like, this barren tree, like, this tree with no leaves. but then he finds, like, this grape and he eats of it, but it's blood. It's, like, this crazy dream. Yeah. And it's this recurring dream he has. And then a month later, in July... The war breaks out. He's in Scotland at the time doing some, like, um, lecture tour. And he has to flee because he's from Germany. Yeah. <laughs> he has to – or he's not from Germany. He's Swiss. But he has to flee. He and lives go in Germany. The time, yeah. Right? He has to flee and go home because all of a sudden World War One breaks out. And so he makes this journey through the northern sea by boat. And there's ice everywhere. And he sees the same tree that he dreamed about. So basically he, he – He has these visions and he has these dreams and then they happen. And so he's, that's what kind of convinces him that the spirit of the depths, this thing coming up in his mind, isn't just his thoughts. It's something more. There's something real to it that he should pay attention to. He points out at this point in Libra Novus that he was in the 40th year of his life. He had achieved all that there was to achieve He had kids, he had fame, he had money. Mm -hmm. He was at a good point in his life. Uh, So basically he's having a midlife crisis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's 40 years old. He's gotten everything he set out to achieve. So he gets a brand new 1914 Corvette. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So he doesn't know what to do with himself. So he has the flood vision while he's in the dream. Again, remember I was saying he's like maybe a really crazy lucid dreamer. Yeah. He cries out. These words fill him, and he says, like, where is my soul? Where are you? He starts demanding to see his soul while he's in his dream. These words sort of fill him. Cries out for a soul, where are you? And then he he finds himself in a desert. And then he's asking himself, like, right after he cries out for a soul, he's in this desert, and he realizes, like, I haven't fed my soul at all. My soul is a desert. Right? No, there's no. There's, no uh, there's nothing here. It's infertile. It's infertile. He hasn't watered it. Exactly. And he says, like, no no work, no, like, growth of the mind. Like, because he's an intellectual, he's put a lot of thought into things. He's thought through many things. No work of the mind can nourish the soul. Because he's done all this stuff and his soul is still a desert. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to do work on your soul in order to make things grow there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and he says, nourish the soul or you'll breed dragons in your heart. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's like the first night. That's that's a dream that he has. Yeah. And it's the beginning of this series of dreams that are then recounted. So that was night one. In the second night, he's wandering through the... He's back in the desert. So it's the second night in the desert. Uh, so he starts having re- recurring dreams of the desert is what's about to happen. Yeah. The second <laughs> night in the desert, he's tired of wandering. He's, he's been wandering through the desert and he keeps crying out. He's like... Who are you, my soul? Who are you? And he starts to get some answers. Like, he starts to get insight, answers into these questions. Not, like, visual representations, but uh, things start to come up. So he has this sort of, like, download of information to his brain Mm -hmm. where he realizes that the nature of your soul is the opposite of your actual life. Like, for him, he, he says, where are you, my soul? Who are you, my soul? And he gets the feeling... Of a maiden, like a young girl, right? So he extrapolates from that. He does this a lot where he takes his experience and decides that that's the experience of everybody else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, whatever. So he extrapolates from this that the nature of any person's soul is the opposite of their sort of corporeal form. Mm -hmm. For him, as an older man, like an older and accomplished and set up man, his soul takes the form of a maiden like a young girl yeah a naive sort of un ungrown like childlike female but if you were a young boy then your soul would be like an older woman and if you're you know a young girl your soul is like an older man yeah and it's sort of this this counterpart counterweight to your physical presence in the world is your soul presence yeah so like you're sort of equal and opposite Your soul kind of ages in reverse Mhm. your soul of your benjamin life. buttons you oh yeah so that was the second night he has that sort of understanding. On the third night, he this voice comes over him and tells him to write down all of the dreams he can remember. And that's when he starts to write down the, the previous yeah. dreams. It's after this third night when he's told he's literally told to by a voice. The, this is a, the cool thing about his character in his dreams is the whole time he's kind of whining and complaining and he's like, "I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, tell me what's going on." Yeah. <laughs> and he's like struggling with this thing. He's so aware. In these moments, like you can hear his voice coming through. We'll keep running into it. But the voice tells him to write it down. He's like, why? This is boring. (laughs) Yeah. This is stupid. There's nothing to write here. Why do you want me to write this down? But he does it anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And now we're reading it.
0: Yeah, now we're reading it. But he gets this other insight on the third night. He says, if you believe you're the master of your soul, become her servant. But if you believe you are the servant of your soul, become her master. In this way, he's saying, okay, your soul is sort of equal and opposite to yourself, but the relationship you have with your soul, you need to seek to reverse in order to like do the soul work to make your desert into a garden. The way he sums it up, if your soul is your master, if you're run by your soul, seek to master your soul. Okay. If you believe that your soul serves you, seek to become your soul's servant. So try to flip the script Hmm. on your own relationship with your soul. Okay, so... Ask not what you can do for your soul, mm-hmm. but oh, ask what your soul, soul can do for you. can do for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you nailed it. I think yeah. you're getting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for several nights thereafter, though, his soul was silent and didn't speak to him. Oh. And he's still wandering in the desert alone. Yeah, ghosted him. Yeah. Uh, on the sixth night, he is wandering around with his soul. Uh, he finds his soul again, and his uh, soul leads him into the deeper part of the desert, the desert of himself. And then he's, he's upset. He keeps asking why. Like, why is this happening? What's going on? And he, he, he says, like, does there have to be solitude? Does, does it have to be a lonely place? Is the desert just the representation of loneliness? Is this just a way of my soul communicating to me that what is going on in this soul work has to occur alone? He says, did the ancients write stories about their prophets going into the desert to tell us? That we have to find that solitude and that desert in ourselves? Some crazy shit. If you, st- if you say the place of the soul, this is the way he puts it, the way he sums it up. Yeah. If you say the place of the soul is not, then it is not. If you say the place of the soul is, then it is. He's kind of saying
1: that if he were to ch- make the choice that, oh, these dreams are all bullshit, then they would be.
0: Then they would be bullshit. Yeah. But if he's, exactly. He's and like, but if you kind of- He's going to l- put in the
1: work to improve it and- and It'll pay off. It'll pay off. Because it will he, be real. Yeah.
0: This whole time he's questioning all this, this input and these images coming. So he's he's struggling still with this spirit of the depth sort of feeling that's come up in him. Because he was, remember, he was having this same, he's been having this same sort of dialogue with himself this whole time. Like, is this real or is it not real? Like, yeah. what is going on? One bit of insight that comes to him at this point, he says, the words that oscillate between nonsense and the supreme hold the highest truth. So if it sounds weird and like nonsense, <laughs> it's good.
1: <laughs> That's how I operate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this goes on night after night. He finds himself uh, in the desert, right? And it's hard going. Like he's struggling with his internal process, and he's f- and his dreams have him physically struggling through the desert. He's wandering through the desert for twenty five nights, searching for something, searching for some meaning. And every night he has to confront that decision over and over to continue wandering in the desert looking for some real truth or to just say this is all bullshit. But he has to continually ask and answer in the affirmative in order to keep returning to this place. But Mm -hmm. he has this dream 25 nights in a row of wandering through the desert and continues to do it 20 nights in or something. Oh, he's filled with self-scorn and doubt. That's the way he puts it is self-scorn because the whole time he's wandering through the desert, he's telling himself like, you're a fucking idiot. Dude, what like, the fuck are you doing? walking around. Well, this what desert? the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you taking your dreams so seriously? Like, why are you? Doing <laughs> yeah. Right. And then he, after 25 nights, he comes to this conclusion that part of this struggle between the spirit of our times and the spirit of the depths is the struggle between cleverness and simple mindedness. That cleverness is sort of this artificial spirit of our time. Whereas there's, sort of wisdom in simple mindedness and in order to find wisdom you have to take the vow of poverty of spirit we're in deep (laughs) we're getting weird (laughs) we're getting weird you know what's funny though the when i was listening to this his sort of struggle with himself and the struggle between cleverness and simple mindedness and the first thing that occurred to me was that scene in fight club when uh when edward norton's character first meets tyler durden on the plane yeah and Tyler Durden immediately calls Ed Norton's character a clever guy. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, the single serving friends, that's clever. And he's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, how's that working out for you? And he's like, what? <laughs> Being clever. And it's it's I, honestly like that movie. I don't know if Chuck Palahniuk like read this book or something, but there's more parallels yeah. <laughs> that we're going to run into. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Because Ed Norton's character is in the same situation. Yeah. He's achieved m- money. He's, yeah. ad- he's got the Ikea catalog. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's at a place in his life where he should have everything he wants, but he experiences an extreme poverty of the soul mm-hmm. and then has to run into this other character to help him wake up from it. So the 25th night, he finally, when he has this realization about cleverness and simple mindedness, he feels that he's overcome the self scorn and he's able to just accept that he can't be clever. He can't overthink it. <laughs> yeah. He has to just accept this sort of, like I said, poverty of spirit Mm -hmm. in order to move forward. So on the 26th night, the next night, things are different. This part is titled, in Libra Novus, Hell in the Future. On the 26th night, instead of being in the desert, he finds himself standing, like, ankle deep in this black, muddy water, which he knows is the river of death. He wanders forward into this dark cave, which is halfway filled with black water, and he sees a red and glowing stone. He picks it up and is struck with this vision of the death of a blonde hero. The blonde f- hero he refers to is this um, hero from German like folklore called um, Siegfried. This vision occurs to him. This is now the 12th of December of 1913 that this is happening. So he's in this sort of hellish vision where he's in the river of death and he's in this like muddy black water. But the realization comes to him that life doesn't come from events. Like, the things that happen in life don't come from events, but they come from the internal. Everything that happens outside has already happened inside. Thus, he says, I am the murderer of the hero. I am the thousand serpents seeking to devour the sun. Whatever the fuck that means. (laughs) I am the rivers of blood. Yeah. Right? That he sees in this vision, in the dream, when he grabs the red stone. So he grabs the stone and it kills the... He grabs the stone and he sees a vision in the dream... (laughs) Yeah. Of rivers of blood, the death of a hero, and this like blotting out of the sun by these thousand serpents. Then the next night, which is his fourth night in hell. Oh no. He has three more nights where he wanders in the same area of like that he- With the cave again? Or? Hell. Yeah. The like yeah. black, muddy, water, yeah. dark, super dark area. He's wandering in that area now instead of the desert for three more nights. The fourth night. He starts screaming at his soul again because, again, he feels like his soul is leading him down these paths each time. And he screams at his soul. He says to journey into hell is to become hell. And he makes, he asks his soul, he's like, what the hell is going on? Is everything the opposite of what it's supposed to be? Do I have to accept the negative in everything that I learn? Does everything also have to be the opposite of what it is? He's just, like, confused and pissed off at his soul. He's like, I hate this. He's like, why is everything opposite? Why is the light dark and why is the dark light? Like, uh, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And his soul says to him, like, my light my light isn't of this world. And he's like, well, if it's not of this world, then I don't know it. And so his soul says to him, do you need to know something for it to be real? Oh, or can something just be real and not be something that you know? So it's like you can almost see he's got to, f- he, every time he, like, figures out and is able to accept some sort of destabilization of his own thoughts or his own understanding. He has to then accept like the next level of that. Yeah. He keeps running into these problems where he's, he can't comprehend what's going on. He kind of hits a wall and then he has to, like, and then he has to like work yeah. through it over several nights. So then this, this fourth night in hell, he or his soul says, my light is not of this world. And he's able to say like, Oh, okay. Just cause I don't know it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. He, yeah. And he has to accept that in order to move forward on the fifth night. He's not in hell anymore. The the fifth night from start going into hell, which is like 35 nights into this crazy dream sequence. In the fifth night, he's in the mountains just before daybreak. He hears the horn of Siegfried, that blonde hero, Uh and he knows that he's coming down this mountain path in his chariot, and he and his soul are like hiding around a corner. They're like, all right, we're going to kill him when he comes around the corner. Oh, shit. So him and his soul have a gun, and as soon as Siegfried comes around the corner like all bold and glorious and blonde and riding his chariot and strong and perfect Uh young shoots him. (laughs) He's the assassin that kills the hero. And thus his vision from like five nights before his vision in the dream from five nights before is realized in that dream. He is the assassin that kills the hero, which foreshadowing maybe the other things are going to come true too in his dreams again. This guy's insane. And this was all, <laughs> <laughs> and this is all happening before, like
1: before all those other visions that with the flood overtaking Europe and all that.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, um, yes, yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were after, but, um, I guess this is before cause those were in 1914. So I think this is, this is, yeah, this is actually before the flood dreams and those things later on. Okay, yeah. But in this dream, he, she, he shoots Siegfried, the hero, mm-hmm. and kills him. And then he's overwhelmed by this, like, flood of images that he feels like is tearing him apart. And the spirit of his depth says again to him, the absurd, what seems crazy, is equal to the highest truth. Hang in there. (laughs) (laughs) And he has the realization that after death, Christ went to hell to become the Antichrist. Because the absurd and the highest truth have to become one and the same. In order for God to be all-encompassing, God has to be evil and good, Right. So oh, yeah. Christ, in his journey to become God, had to die and go to hell, and become the Antichrist, uh-huh. and return as a dragon, in order to be an all-encompassing God. So obviously, the Christ, obviously, right? You <laughs> realized this from this crazy dream. This is again, this <laughs> yeah. is another vision he's having in the dream right after he kills Siegfried. A vision within a vision. A vision within a vision. Right. Yeah. So he's getting, he's doing some inception stuff where yeah. he goes into a dream, <laughs> yeah. and then he has to go into a dream in that dream, and a vision in that dreams, vision, all that stuff. In this, he understands that gods are unavoidable. The more you flee from God, the more you come into the hand of God. He, by this Christ journey, he understands that it, even turning away from God is turning towards God because God is sort of all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. Even the Antichrist is God. You know, what, I, you know yeah. what I'm saying? You know what he's saying? Are you following? Kind of. I think so. <laughs> I'm not. Good for you. <laughs> that which things are, are also what they are not. Ooh. Get into getting to the good stuff. <laughs> uh, the next night is entitled Encounter at the Mysterium. So the next night, he finds himself in a wasteland, and he's wandering again. And he finds a little hut, and he goes into the hut. And in the hut, he sees the prophet Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet. And he's, like, sitting in a chair. And then out from the corner comes this uh, beautiful young woman. But she's, like, feeling her way ar- along the side of the hut. So he's able to tell that she's blind. Yeah. And he comes in and he starts talking to the prophet Elijah and asking him questions about this place. And he's again, young is like very aware and lucid in these dreams. And he's always like questioning the characters he runs into. Like, okay, what's going on? What are you trying to teach me? What do you represent? What's the deal? Yeah. He's like literally saying like, okay, what do you represent? You're the prophet Elijah. So you must be a learned man. Like he's starting to, he's trying to piece it together. Yeah. And Elijah pushes uh, back at him a little bit. And then Salome, comes up to him like while he's talking to Elijah. That's the blind woman. The blind woman, the blind young woman. And like kind of puts herself on him, like kind of grips him. Yeah. And says in his ear, like, do you love me? And And he's like, all right. Young's like, no, no, I don't love you. How would I love you? I don't even know you. (laughs) And you're in this representation of Salome, who's uh, like the daughter, the stepdaughter of King Herod in the Bible. But her character in the Bible is this sort of evil temptress, sort of incestuous character so young is immediately like turned off and he's like no I don't love you like why would you say that and then he's talking to Elijah like what's going on here like who's this person <laughs> yeah. and Elijah's like well this is my daughter Salome he's like how is she your daughter and, and Elijah's like well we're bound together she is pleasure and I am thinking uh, in that way we're sort of we're bound to one another and Jung does not understand he's yeah. like okay whatever I don't get it he also sees in this place, like in this little hut, he sees a black serpent climbing up a tree. Uh-huh. And so he's asking Elijah some more, like, w- what is going on? Am I in hell? What's going on here? And Elijah's like, no, 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 no. Like, I am forethinking. She is pleasure. Like these are two different aspects of the human soul. Uh-huh. This is where I was saying he ends up relating this back to um, the whole personality traits thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But um." You know, a lot of these visions that he has in this book, a lot of these dreams, I know this sounds crazy, dear listeners, but a lot of these dreams dear readers, are going to end up resulting in some pretty interesting uh, revelations for him in the world of psychoanalysis. Yeah. This one in particular, this Elijah versus Salome, is going to kind of be the foundation and bedrock of his personality trait categorization research that he does later, that mm. we're going to talk about later in this episode. He Then he also kind of figures out that the serpent this is great, actually. I really like this. What he decides the serpent means in this uh-huh. situation. So he, you've got Salome on one side, Elijah on the other. Forethinking and pleasure, these two separate and distinct mm-hmm. parts of man. The serpent represents the undulation of life between the two. Right? Oh, how the kind serpent of slithers. Yeah, the serpent slithering back and forth represents movement. Uh-huh. The serpent is both a barrier between thinking and pleasure. Yeah. And the bridge between thinking and pleasure. Yeah. So the serpent that if you're if you're in a place of pleasure and you're trying to find thought, the first thing you're gonna feel is this barrier, and that's the serpent. But that's like the discomfort of moving from one place in your mind to the other. Uh-huh. Is this like sort of scary thing? Yeah. But you need to cross it to get to the other side. <laughs> yeah. So that's like this. This three characters. Not only is it, well, for me at least, in my understanding, it's like. In any sort of pursuit, when you're trying to change from one type of person or from one type of thinking to the other. Yeah. You're going to meet first with this barrier of fear and discomfort. But you know what you have to do to get past it? You got to slither. You got to fuck around. You got to fuck around so you can find out. <laughs> the next night, he comes back into the wasteland and he's he is so kind of excited by his realization from the night before about the, the epiphany he has about forethinking and pleasure being mm-hmm. two parts of the human mind. And the serpent being this, like, bridge and division between the two. He's so excited by that. The next night when he's in the wasteland, he's filled with his longing to have another vision. He's like, oh, I'm stoked. Yeah. And he's he walks up to this, like, sheer cliff. And he sees Elijah standing at the top and, like, telling him to get out of here. Like, go yeah. away. Go away. <clears throat> and then he sees these two serpents, one all black and one all white. And they, like, attack each other and start wrestling. Yeah. And he's, like, so sure that the black one is going to destroy the light one. And then when they separate after this crazy, writhing, tumultuous battle, right, at the base of this cliff, when they finally separate, and instead of the white one being destroyed like he thought, the black one comes away from it with, like, white dots and white stripes on it. Okay. Like, the white has sort of... become part kind of, of the dark inf- infected it kind of infected it yeah infected the dark with the kind light like a yin yang yin yang kind it of is uh... totally a yin yang thing there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of yin yang elements to this shit yeah so he finally like he's trying to get up to the top of this this cliff to the top of this mountain he ends up like looking around it for a while and finding a path and he sees elijah ahead of him now beckoning for him to come and so he makes his way up to the peak at the peak of this mountain there's a crater and in the center of the crater there's a big boulder which is like this altar, uh, this altar and sort of temple to the sun. And he describes it as this place, this uh, strange thing that collects light and collects the power of the sun. Hmm. And then he hears the sound of a wellspring, like of water running. Yeah. And he sees like a dark cave. And he goes down into this dark cave and he finds a dwarf. And the dwarf's name is Meme. Meme? Yeah. How do you spell it? M-I-M-E, which looks like mime. But it's pronounced meme. (laughs) All right, all right. (laughs) Anyway, he's a Dwarf. I should probably brush up on my Norse mythology, but I'm pretty sure that's a character from Norse mythology. Okay. Yeah. And he says to young. here's my well. Here's my spring. Whoever drinks from this water will gain wisdom. This is the water of wisdom. There's no catch. Sounds like you can just get free mm-hmm. wisdom. Right? Nothing bad's going to happen. Young uh, looks at it and he loses his courage. He's afraid. He's too afraid to drink from it. So he turns around and he goes back <laughs> up to the altar. Like, he climbs back out of the cave. He's not bold enough to drink from the well of wisdom. Yeah. But I wonder, what would have happened to Young if he did? Yeah. I really what do. Would he got wise? Or I bet that, I bet meme would have freaking tricked him in some way. Probably. So he loses his courage and he goes back up to the altar. And then he says to Elijah, he says, he realizes that Elijah has made him see all this weird stuff just in order to have a conversation with him. And he says, like, why did you do this? Why did you make me see this battle with the servants? Why did you make me talk to that weird fucking dwarf under there? Like, why did you make me do all this stuff first before we could have this conversation? And Elijah says to him, like, you were too eager to seek wisdom when you came here tonight. You wanted it too bad. I had to fuck with you a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Before. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think, like, he had to lose his courage and lose that desire to seek wisdom from the well before Elijah would talk to him. There's a lot of weird, like, surrender things that go on. You're not ready. Yeah. come back when you're ready. He keeps asking these questions like... You're not ready. So then Elijah beckons him over to the altar and says, um, look into the stone. So he like leans over and he looks into, oh yeah, there's like a crystal set on the altar. Mm -hmm. And so Young goes over to the crystal and he looks into it. And all of a sudden he's surrounded by a wreath of fire, like fire springs up all around him. And he's seized by fear and images of the flood overcome him, that flood across Europe, right? And he sees the boots of peasants and the foot of a giant crush an entire city. And then he sees the cross on a green mountain and then the removal of the cross torn down. And he screams out like like he's in incredible pain. And he screams to Elijah, like, I'm in pain. I'm in agony. I I no longer yearn. I no longer want to learn. Like, I don't (laughs) care, right? And then the vision continues, right? And he's still in pain. And he sees the divine child, the baby Jesus, And he's standing there and he has a white serpent in his left hand and a black serpent wrapped around his right. There they are again. Yeah. He sees again the green mountain and the cross, but this time Christ is on it in torment, right? In the last moments of his life. And at the base of the cross is a black serpent wrapped around the bottom of Christ's feet. And then he looks down. And he sees that the serpent is wrapped around his feet. Oh,
1: fuck. This This a big-ass serpent.
0: And Salome comes up out of nowhere, and she whispers in his ear, Do you see? And he's like, I see that some terrible power has forced me to imitate Christ. All of a sudden, he feels his arms like it's stretched up around him, and his arms are put out to the left and the right, and he's screaming in pain. Yeah. And Salome whispers in his ear, You are Christ.
1: Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, fuck.
0: And he's gripped and stretched, and the serpent coils up from his legs, right? And his arms are flayed out to the left and the right, just like Christ on the cross. The serpent crawls up his legs and wraps around his chest and starts squeezing him tighter and tighter. And he's screaming in pain, and he's screaming to Elijah and to Salome to let him go, but they won't. And the blood starts flowing from his body. The serpent is squeezing the blood out of him. And this blood is flowing down his feet and flowing down the mountain. And it is the flood, and it is the destruction, and he is Christ. (laughs) This is for the hardcore shit. I here. know. <laughs> and then Salome lays down at his feet, and she wraps his hair around his feet, and she lays there bathing in the blood, being squeezed from his body by the black serpent, until suddenly she cries out, "I can see! I can see the light!" And then the serpent falls from him, Whoa. and he steps over it, and he kneels at the feet. Of Elijah, and Elijah says unto him, "Your work here is fulfilled now. Other things will come. Seek untiringly, and write down everything that you see." And then he wakes up. He grabs a pen. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure he grabbed a pen. In his reflection about that, he says he the understanding that he gained from that moment was that there was this imbalance in him. Between Elijah, who was forethought and thinking, uh-huh. and Salome, who was pleasure, she was blind, and she was incomplete. Yeah, right. But through this experience, this he had to give up the yearning for knowledge, and allow himself uh, to like bleed and sa- sacrifice the. Year- he had to sacrifice his yearning for knowledge, like at the altar of Salome, in order to give her her sight back. And when he gave her her sight back, she grew from being just pleasure to being the actual counterpart of forethinking and thought, which is love. So like pleasure is just like a reduced and smaller experience, uh, an aspect of love. Yeah. And so he had to like sacrifice his yearning and desire for forethought in order to really understand and experience and become a part of his own love. Well, oh, that's and in, fucking interesting, man. Yeah. And in that way, he allowed that aspect of himself to become the equal and actual counterpart of the thinking and, like, mind aspect that he had already, like, given so much of his life to. And in that way, he achieved balance. And then when he came to Elijah and said, and Elijah told him, like, okay, your work here is done. You've done the work of the soul work that you needed to do in the desert, yeah. basically now other things will come to you. Now you can move on to the next step. Now you can move on to the next step next and level. that's where Liber Primus ends. <laughs> yeah. and Liber Segundus begins, which we'll talk about on the next episode. All right. Pretty rock and roll, right? Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. This remember I think I said to you a little while back like other people having had this experience and believing it to be true would have straight up proclaimed themselves like the next prophet of God. Mm-hmm he literally be just became Christ yeah in his vision and exactly, his dreams yeah. and he ends up taking this information and this experience and saying everyone can do this everyone can become their own Christ and become their own god yeah you just have to look inward you ever heard the saying seek first to understand definitely yeah i don't know if they meant it like this but <laughs> <laughs> shit shit <laughs> shit dog <laughs> Hey, well, thank you all for listening and uh, putting up with some of the, I hope we didn't get too lost. <laughs> a little too preachy there. <laughs> yeah, I might have t- turned on my preacher voice a little bit for a minute, <laughs> yeah. but thank you guys for listening and, uh, you know, yeah. we love you. You know, this is really fun for us and our hope is that it's super fun for you and, yeah. and that you get a little something out of it, a little something, something. Yeah. And if not, we'll just keep talking into the void. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to do it for 30 nights in a row yeah, and then oh, we yeah. Have to figure anything out that yeah, so sounds right yeah we've got 28 24 <laughs> more <laughs> nights yeah <laughs> something like that another month or so yeah anyway thanks guys so much check yeah. us out on Instagram yeah uh, what is it uh, beautiful animals
1: dot no beautiful dot animals dot pod mm-hmm. on instagram yeah uh we
0: uh it's it's up there. out our twitch stream ghT vision yeah one day we'll have that going that'll start going maybe by now who knows probably thanks again everybody we yeah. love you so we love long. you so much uh it's remember to juice it oh favorite. we're gonna do a yeah we can to do a fucking well we can't remember to crack open a fortune cookie before yeah. you leave the never, restaurant <laughs> never don't eat dessert is that what it says no oh <laughs> I was like, how am I supposed to read meaning into that?
1: Oh, yeah. All the problems you have will pass very
0: quickly. Oh. Well, that's just great news. I know,
1: it is. There's nothing to read into there. It's just easy.
0: No, you know, no just all to... the problems you have will pass. That's just, you know, I, that's a good mantra to repeat mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. You know what? It sucks now, but it's going to pass. Yeah, and the word pass kind of makes me think of pooping. It makes me so. think of kidney stones or something. <laughs> I hope they pass quickly. <laughs>
1: really? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. That's terrible. I mean, we are drinking a lot of energy drinks. I mean, is don't kinda. don't jinx it. Knock on wood.
0: Don't even say that. Yeah. Oh, nightmare. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Anyway, yeah, stay hydrated out there. Hydrated. Don't forget to juice it. Fuck around and drink water or die. <laughs> yeah, drink water or die. <laughs> Come back next week. Check us out again for the uh, probably the conclusion and wrap up. Yeah, maybe on I mean, uh, Libra Novus.
1: Three parts is a lot. Yep. Four parts would be a lotter. Let's not
0: do that. No. i try and. But,
1: no. Who the fuck knows? Hey. Fuck
0: around. Find fuck out. Fuck around. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Later, Gators. Later, Gators. Love you. You know what I love is our outro music. Yeah. It's fucking good, Riddler. I know. The best Riddler. <laughs> but it, it comes like it, it's like a slow build and then yeah, like, that's right no, a sense talking. of like gravitas. Yeah, to it's the like episode, super dramatic. Tr- it makes fucking it seem dramatic. really serious. Yeah. yeah, I love it because it's just it's good to end on that note. Like yeah. we, we're kind of funny and we're kind of whatever. And then in the beginning, the intro is funny. Yeah. And then the outro is like, yeah, man, I just listened to something real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was
1: like, when I finished editing that first episode, I was worried. I was like. I know. Is this fucking too dramatic? Like, <laughs> No, it's great. It's That's... like the end of a movie or something like that? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. the
0: perfect punctuation mark to our thing. Yeah. yeah. That's the way we live, man. We put the climax right at the end.